Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, the CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about complexity and managing complexity. And one of the things we've talked about a lot in Cloud 2030 is how challenging it is to understand complexity, to measure it and cope with it. And one of the things I've been researching is Richard Cook, uh, who wrote a paper called Why Complex Systems Fail or How Complex Systems Fail. And in it, he talks about complex systems having strong defense mechanisms against failure. And so that's what we talked about in this discussion. How do we build defense mechanisms for complex systems, specifically not by making them simpler, but by exercising them and testing them? And we had a fascinating conversation about the importance of testing validation and layer abstraction and testing the layers in this conversation. If you were dealing with complex systems and everybody who's working in any type of IT is, this discussion will be fascinating and actionable, and I'm sure you will enjoy it. So as the topic, right, of complexity design rules, we've, we've had a lot of time together where we keep coming back to the antidote for complexity is not just simplifying things. A lot of times you can't do that. Um, and actually, I was just reading uh, Dr. Cook's How Complex Systems Fail, which fundamentally says complex systems um, have defense mechanisms built into them that are good. We, we right There's good defensive mechanisms in a complex system that's actually valuable. And we've talked about that multiple times too. And that the big defense in complexity is, is testing and exercise. Um, and maybe that's the right starting place here because Beth, I think that'll pull in your comment about platforms and reference architectures. The more, the more we have a testable or and a common platform, the stronger the systems are going to be, right? Right, because that's that's the whole thing about Anakit that it, it's a little weak right now. <laughs> is that the reference architectures? You know, all the telecoms are busy doing lots of documentation. We have hundreds of pages of documentation at this point. Right. Where where we're struggling is to turn that into testable. Um, and a conformance, testable implementations that can be then adopted by the users, i.e. the vendors and the telecoms uh, as a stand, I wouldn't call it standard, more loosely defined, uh, what's the term we're using? Badged, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Supportable architectures. <laughs> it's pretty murky at that point. <laughs> so, I can you walk back through what Anakit's trying to do? Because I'm just not as familiar with the project, or oh, even okay. um, the LF Edge. The LF Edge. Um, um, oh, blanking on the project name. Um, X X G G S X G Era or XG whatever yeah but yeah, yeah please, and 5g yeah there's a bunch of them 5g blueprint right so all of these projects are kind of new for the lf foundation in general which is that they're not primarily coding projects they're primarily 
architecture reference models and reference architectures that have code that's testing code to validate that a given implementation is fits, you know, that meets the criteria for the reference model and the reference architecture. Okay. Very different approach. So like the project that, that Robin Rob started and I was on that I can't even remember the name of anymore. Uh, core, the core stuff. Oh, uh, the, um, uh, oh, Def yeah. Core. Def yeah, Def Core. Core. Def Core. Mm, I think it's a little more concrete than Def Core. Um, huh. Because, I mean, Def Core was using the uh, OpenStack tests to do the validation for whether or not you had API compliance. Yeah, it was compliance the, stuff. But Yeah, so that piece of it is the same. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's just yeah. that it's it's the etiquette is broader than that piece. Plus, it has reference models. Well, Kubernetes has a similar thing called Sonoboy. Or actually, Sonoboy runs the tests that are the Kubernetes compliance tests, which are also an API exercise um, component. Yeah. The test, uh, Funk Test is the name of the test suite that we use. And it came out of the OPNFV work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes beyond just API. Uh, functionality but but i recall with opnfv that having a common like there was always a push to have some common platform that would work across all of the labs all the participants um did that ever come about that's the etiquette okay but does that actually do build, install, setup, or is it is it just the test the test validation at this point? Well, phone test is the test. We were using an installer. We were using Airship installer, but apparently we're not anymore. Okay. And I think I'm not sure what we're using now, but the the intention is to support installers. I think there's. I don't think we're we're. I think we're installer neutral as long as it passes the tests. Okay. What what I've what I've seen and as sort of where you know I'd love to discuss and see see if if I can change my thinking on this is that the reference architectures, um, Acrano or you know what you're doing with LF Edge or no sorry LFN, um, if those things um, can be separated from the install platform. Oh, they absolutely can. Um, so okay. the Anikit is um, working with GSMA because GSMA is a is a group. Uh, it's a telecom consortium that sets up standards. So it has. Um, so our reference model is actually it becomes a GSMA document. So it's a reference, and it's and that we've been yeah. GSMA. Yeah. GSMA. Um, and that, that's a consortium of telecoms that uh, has a whole set of standards. You know, they have security, 5G, there's a bunch of stuff that it does. But Which I suspect started with the GSM standard. <laughs> oh, probably. Right. That's the, so G, yeah. So when you say GSM, GSMA documents, it's not a type of document, it's the, Governing body for it's the, the governing body. GSMA is the governing body. Yeah, right. 
but there's no, and this is one of the things I saw with the Crano. A Crano ended up being mostly, you know, PDFs and PowerPoints saying what people wanted in a stack. It wasn't, you know, a way to build the stack. It was, it was a yeah, that's not reference true architecture. Of, yeah, that's not true of a crane of uh, Anakit. Anakit does okay. have the other piece. We, we are in the labs. We have the test. We do have the test suite. It is code. Um, we do have vendors that are testing against it. Um, it's just, uh, that's weaker than the, <laughs> the, the front end of it. Yeah, I, I thought that. If I recall, OPNFB back when I was still involved uh, at um, Huawei, uh, there were multiple companies that were doing installers and all of them, they were trying to actually validate those installers. And one of the reasons they had multiple installers was because each of these companies didn't want to use the other company's installers. And That's so they came up the with case. a way yeah. to validate the installers as part of the OPNFB thing so that all the labs would be the same once everything was installed. Uh, there's some truth to what you just said. <laughs> well, that's the, the, the install. I mean, this is the thing that we see over and over again. The installer war um, problem is, you know, really, really creates variation right at the, the beginning. It's incredibly hard to write. I mean, you can you can test it at a certain level, but there's so much that's driven by the underlying componentry of how that system gets built um, that it's it's incredibly hard to create a, a portable, reusable uh, process. Well, and and that's I think why the companies were sitting there going, "Our guys can't follow that process." So. Here, here is our installer, and then here are the validation tests and the reference architectures and everything you can validate against to demonstrate that what we installed is the baseline that we're all supposed to be working from. And so a lot of energy and effort has gone into it, obviously, and is still going into it. And like Beth said, a lot of it's documentation and some of it implementable by code and test. The, the problem with test though, is uh, that as system, and here's what the complexity stuff, uh, tests are extremely fragile in general because the assumptions, their underlying assumptions are changing out from under them as code is, is uh, uh, modified and uh, enhanced or uh, refactored. And so it's really hard to be, build a test system that doesn't break when uh, implementation changes. You know, it, it's nice if you've got, and API documents and all these other documents help because then you build at the higher level, but it's really hard to actually extract testing to the abstraction layer that isn't changing. There's always implementation tied into it, just with just like installation.
Yeah. Um, and and it's been a slog. I mean, I will not deny that the anarchy's been a slog. Um, parts of it are doing well. You know, as I said, the reference model piece is doing pretty well. It's been accepted with GSMA. The reference architecture pieces, there's two. It's one's Kubernetes-based or container-based, and the other is OpenStack-based. I'd say they're doing reasonably well. We've been the Kubernetes-based one um, has actually been driving requirements back into Kubernetes itself because we're, you know, we're trying to get telecom workloads that don't where Kubernetes, we're fighting with Kubernetes, basic inherent lack of features. <laughs> uh, so. Muted. If you're doing it from a test perspective then, but at least that, that way you're coming back and saying, here's a feature we want implemented. Here's the tests that validate it. We need these features in Kubernetes to right. do that work. Right. Um, Okay. And then the reference architecture backs up the use case so that you can see that this is how we would put everything together. All those things make sense to me individually. Um, uh, it's just every, how do you ensure that, let's just focus on the Kubernetes piece that different Kubernetes can implement the Anakit spec. Is that, I mean, is that a fair way to say it? Um, it, it's it. The two organizations can, should, and are working together to resolve that. Okay, that's the good news. So, so but like Beth said. Go ahead. They're working together, which which is one of the reasons there's a slog. Yeah, <laughs> well, especially because the Kubernetes, right? OpenStack was, you know, had a lot of telecom influence at the board level and in the project level. Still does even more now. And even more now, and so from that perspective, you can you know you you can influence the project. Kubernetes is not particularly governed from a telecom with telecom influence, right? No, the, I think the only way they're probably making progress is that there are a certain number of individuals who have uh, the, the experience and respect in, in both communities that are bridging the communities and, and fighting on both sides to, to get things to work. Am I right in that, Beth? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's absolutely true. I mean, how how variant are the use cases that we're talking about? Um, they're not. Uh, but, well, so there's another factor, and you know, you and I talked about this last week. Um, the workloads are currently, for the most part, still VMs. Okay, there's yeah. a challenge, yep. Yeah, it's a challenge. And they're older workloads, right? So they're not, they're not I mean, firewalls have been around for, what, 40 years. <laughs> and, 
and uh, routers, you know, 40 years and, you know, the vendors, <laughs> yeah, the vendors are not willing or able or whatever to put in the effort to make them containerized. <laughs> so it's been slowing things down and we want them to be containerized. This is where the small startup figures out we can containerize this and somehow make money off of it. And then the, the large group, large companies involved in it will sit there and go, yeah, yeah, we like these folks. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll buy them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's, and and it's also let's be honest a fairly conservative industry. Oh, extremely. Yeah. What good reason though? Yeah, but because reliability and resiliency are important. Well, and so it's com- and uh, you know I've tried to pull us back into complexity a little bit, just in the fact that what we're we're trying to design here is you know we're using telco as an example of a complex system that we're trying to make resilient and robust. Um, by having a conformance test that allows the the allows any any user of the system to verify its its change, right? But but here's my challenge: is that the conformance test is helpful to ensure that that you have built a system that you can build on top of. Right? Yes, that's, that's like exactly def, what def, Anakin is. That's exactly right. what Anakin is. And that's all DefCore was doing is saying there's the minimum set of things that, that you need to be able to count on for, for OpenStack to run. Sonoboy is similar. It's, these are conformance tests that have a minimum minimum feature set that, that you can rely on. It doesn't make any statements about the underlying stability of the system, the maintenance of that system, how you right, how it's operated or installed, right? That that we've we've really not been successful in creating a, a and that's what the reference architectures are for, because they're only hmm. some folks who are capable of actually doing architecture in the software world, they're I don't think even one in 10 people are, that are software developers are capable of architecting. And so you need to put an architecture out there that makes sense to these people that they can adopt as kind of their, their foundation. The basis for their cargo cult. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think, Rob, you're on onto something with the fact that really we're talking about decomposing the stack into layers. And that's what we did back in the day with networking. And you don't necessarily care what's happening underneath if you're working above that that layer. And, <sighs> and so, the, the hmm. hard thing is that the layers are really important or the component componentizing. And what happens frequently because of this confusion over architecture is instead of coming up with components or architectures, folks come up with a higher level of abstraction, which doesn't right. speak to the architecture or the components. And so there is the abstraction trap where you just get 
layer after layer of abstraction instead of layers of architecture. So, but mm -hmm. I, Rob, you you were you seemed hesitant there, and and so I want to come back and say or ask if we want if we should be talking about being resilient within our own layer, as opposed to being resilient and crossing those layer boundaries. I mean, if you look at those as, you know, sort of domains, <laughs> yeah, we, we should not cross, we, we should be self-contained and reliant within ourselves and not have uh, to worry about the lower level. Yeah, I, I feel like, Anything, especially on infrastructure stuff, abstractions are very, very leaky. And um, and so you end up with the challenge of something that seems like a perfectly harmless um, abstraction that because of the underlying this is this is a def core lesson to me. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually and I can be concrete about it with an example. <laughs> Sorry. And why tests are fragile because they they actually depend on the leaks to actually do the work. <laughs> uh, well, well what, what we found with DefCore was that we could test the APIs and do certain work, but the you know we kept losing tests because the implementations were variant enough, invalid in their variants that um, you either had to start going deeper into testing to make sure that you had a, a fully conformant environment or you had, you, and what happened to us is we kept getting shallower. Uh, a big example that caused a huge fight is Oracle showed up with their, um, their version of OpenStack and they had chosen to implement um, everything I think curve on virtualization. Sorry. <laughs> they also had everything on Solaris. <laughs> they did. Right. And they used pair virtualization, which then didn't oh conform. God. From an agent agent perspective, it was open Solaris. It wasn't that yeah. perfectly reasonable, um, but they couldn't pass the conformance tests because the conformance tests had hard coded a Linux agent oh. operation. So, yeah, so yeah. the the test came back and like everything worked, but the the test was coded to rely on a, a Linux OS being booted and then tested, and that Linux OS was not the Solaris OS, even though it looked exactly the same and operated in a yeah. similar way, it didn't pass that test. But it failed from, from like the get-go. Failed from the get-go. Yep. It failed like two tests that had arguably a poorly coded test because it relied on Linux as the VM. Yep. And then Oracle actually provided a revised test that all the developers rejected because no, you can't make us uh, not have Linux as our basis. And it all became a whole philosophical. It, be it became, it really became a vendor, an yeah. anti-vendor statement in, in yep. the. And that's um, the problem with tests. There is uh yeah. Most tests are fragile and partly they're fragile because again, they're not a lot of them aren't architected or are built with enough of an understanding of the how to architect around the specific systems 
And they're, mm. part of the reason is this, there's not enough time given to people who are writing tests because tests aren't considered as important. So if tests were a first-class citizen, a lot of these problems would be more approachable and solvable, especially for complex systems. And this this is, to me, one of my big takeaways out of this. And part of what, what we see as we do, because like, right, I'm really focused on portable automation. How do you do um, automation that, that different people in different environments with different infrastructures can use over and over and over again? Because the, for me, the complexity question here is, you know, that test, it's actually pretty straightforward. That test should have been uh, allowed to work in both environments. And we should have gone deeper in the test framework and then done more and more exercising. Because the, the the solution here, if we want to build, if we want defensible systems, they are going to be complex. The more we exercise those systems, the more we test during the exercise of that system, the more resilient it's, it's going to be. Um. The response to that becomes from a avoiding complexity standpoint, who's going to write the test for that specific hardware, that software? Are we always going to have that available to us to be able to perform those tests to ensure that the tests are still working? It's all of those follow on things where it's sometimes it's not even just pure time. I can have all the time in the world, but is there value in me going down all the possible paths in the event that that, that option comes up at some point? Uh, so this is what gets interesting. I don't, I don't know that you have to go down. This is the difference between test and exercise to me. That You don't have to go down every path to build a more resilient system. You have to go through the paths that you go through a lot, and then ideally keep other people's paths in your code base. This is sort of how I, how I think about this from that perspective. So if you're, if you're actually able to go and, and, and run systems a whole bunch and keep in, so let me try and be, I'll, let me go back to the OpenStack example and be really specific. Well, my dog growls about a ball in the background. Um, in the, the, the lost opportunity here was to add tests that covered Solaris as a legitimate set of tests with the acknowledgement that only a small subset of users were going to take advantage of those tests. But if, if 80, if 95% of the tests worked on both systems or 98%, that's a win. And it, and then if 2% of the tests variant are variant, then that's okay. Right. We, we, this is, this is why I think the conformance test is different than what I think of as an anti-complexity or complexity insurance test. That I get, but then it becomes, let's say, one of those 95% of the test needs to be changed on a Linux system because there is something, whether it's a, a change in the service management the capability, moving from upstart or whatever to system D. Now, do I have to then factor in what it would be on the Solaris side as part of that maintenance? I, this Hold is where I... Off. Pull that test out of the general and put it only in the Linux, or you leave the one in the right. I, I think I think what Rob is trying to say is that you you sort of split the tests and have a precondition. Are you testing on Linux? Or are you testing on Solaris? But this this is where I see this as as the line crossing into reference architecture from test. Right. 
is that what we're talking about doing is 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 test, but it's not test. It's I have a a a process that builds my system, right? And works against multiple reference architectures and tolerates the fact that in there are places in my reference architecture where I can make reasonable substitutions. And and the more we allow that, this is this is the where people's heads explode with complexity. Allowing that is adding complexity in the process of, of running the system. But it's also creating what I, and this is my question, is that defensible complexity? If you're carrying Solaris as a thing that you can't exercise, but it's there. So the Solaris person comes along. So, so it's, it's there, that use case is handled. You don't, you can't test it, but you've, you've encapsulated it so that it's, it's in the system. If you've done that well, then the, when the person shows up, who's doing Solaris, they are going to get the benefit of all the other work, all the other exercising that you've done. System resilience across all the users goes up. Even though you can't exercise every path and, and it's not testing, you're not expected to exercise every path. This is where it's not a test. It's a, it's a, it's different. And it's not reference, quite reference architecture either. So let me ask, let me ask this to kind of, make it even more fun. We're, we're talking about testing from the top down, right? From the, the software that's running down into the mm. underlying architecture. But, but do we want to talk about testing from the bottom up and saying your application is, you know, that's your application doesn't conform because it's not using the standard APIs. It's, you know, digging down into the lower parts. I mean, that's what I, that's what I, I think if you, for. if you, at, and when you do tops down work, um, you, I, I believe you hit a layer that you, you need the bottoms up work to be, to be, to be right, to do that, to do the validation. That's been, as I've watched like the LFN stuff, that's, that's sort of been my feeling on LFN is that, you know, for the, what they were trying to accomplish and I haven't tracked them for a couple of years. So Beth, maybe they got better and, and solved some of this stuff, but for to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish, the fact that everybody did a different install meant that it was always going to be a struggle to, to yeah. find a conformance test. Well, exactly what Anakit is designed to address, okay. um, which is you're absolutely right. Every single telecom has a different install today which is drive it drives the telecoms nuts and it drives the vendors nuts mm -hmm. because it means that every vendor has to do a, a, a different deployment for every telecom. And as um, one of my I used to work with on Anakit used to say, we're not competing on our OpenStack and our Kubernetes infrastructures. <laughs> That's right. That's, so everybody benefits in the in, in the entire industry. Everybody benefits if we have a reference <laughs> to work against. Yeah the the challenge the challenge this is this is the challenge though is that those reference architectures without the the, the variance created by the install options in the reference 
um, our material in the in the in the outcome, or at least they are at the moment, right? Because even Kubernetes that tried to do a um, standardize the their the Kube ADM installer pieces um, that you know that is not standardized things particularly much at all. And I, I don't know that cluster API is any any better from a standardization perspective. Well, but but if you have a if you have a workload validation mm. that you know works like an app store that confirms that none of your workload is going outside of that tested field and the tests work, then your application will work. So here's, uh, the, maybe, here's yeah. the problem we ran into in uh, OpenStack, and you run into it a lot. Uh, and this is where I suspect Anakit is having some issues uh, because it just must. And that is uh, the is under specification. You specify everything the system should do. And what happens is you forget everything the system shouldn't do. And so you don't have uh, bounds on API. You don't have the exception handling. You don't say, this is good for API input and output, but this is bad. And then you get people designing for those things that you don't think you put in there, but you didn't exclude them. So under specification is really a big bugaboo, both for testing yeah. and for conformance. Um, I haven't, I can't say that I've seen that to be the case here, but, but um, it probably is. I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, and a lot of it is dependent on who's writing, who has written the test and how experienced they are, because if they're experienced, they know to, to put in the exception handling tests. And so there, there are fewer problems where you get these uh, out of the ordinary, it works, but should it work kind right. of things. Using undocumented features. I mean, yeah. Microsoft thought that forever now. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's right. And they, and they, they had to, Microsoft got pushed around and made changes to the operating system to keep compatibility in place because there were so many people that were relying on this undocumented feature. And that's uh, really what, mm -hmm. what I think, Rocky, you're talking about is if, if you don't test the negatives, then anything that's accidentally exposed or extended by one of the vendors, that undocumented feature is a problem. Yeah, And, and that happened especially when StephCore really got rolling, actually <laughs> when Rob was actually gone already uh, and that the tests mm. got improved and they started doing the exception handling and suddenly people, implementations started failing left and right and companies were screaming, saying, no, our stuff has worked. You, you validated it. And it's like, well, we didn't validate it for this. <laughs> And yeah. this is what it should have been. And the test now handles that. But so, yeah, it's. Yep. I think uh, there's some inherent problems in, 
in just code in general, you know, people and OpenStack was pretty bad about it because of its kind of rough beginnings, right? Well, mm-hmm. also the the makeup of the the folks working in it when when development is the important thing, test uh, it's you know developers have a different mindset. It's happy yeah. path, so it's the under specification. Not well, and documentation. And Let's be honest. Yeah, oh, OpenStack was horrible about it. Right, yeah. but we we had a goal, and I, I don't think this was ever executed. And I think even like the Sonoboy stuff was supposed to do this for Kubernetes, and I I don't know that people do this. Was that you would rerun those compliance tests on a routine basis, like you would complete an install and run the compliance tests to make sure that you you had it, that you would write and then run them on a nightly basis or a weekly basis and say, my system is in, right? This is where to me, the, the complexity the complexity pieces need to keep going in our, in our designs. We need to be like, all right, I'm going to continually audit the systems that I have to make sure that they are, they are exercised and in compliance with what I expect them to be. Um, and the more people that are running the same code, implementation code, validation code, right, that stuff, then I think that the system systems aren't getting less complex. What they're doing is they're getting better defended. And that that's like this is this is where my thinking is evolved on complexity. It's not eliminating complexity. It's it's exercising systems to better defend the system, right? Araki, your example with OpenStack is great. They added defensive mechanisms in the tests and found out systems were failing. And, and even if the, if the system itself is, is, is not degrading, the environment might be degrading. And, and right. if you don't have that continuous testing, you don't catch that. Well, speaking of which also, the, the the other big challenge with testing, which a lot of projects tend to overlook, is um, the portability of tests. Okay, if 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 you if you if you write the, your 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 tests, uh, your integration tests for AWS, and then want to port it to Azure, well, good luck if you, if you depend on on, on AWS specific resources. Right, that's right. But but the, and but this comes back. Klaus, would you then have the test be able to tolerate both? Right from that perspective, what you really want to do is say, "I have a I'm going to run a test suite, and it's going to pass in every situation, exercising different things." Um, or, I mean, personally, I, I would expect that the what I'm testing. I, I wouldn't necessarily test both. I would okay. test against a stub or, or, or a mock system and then have the configurability of, of that to, to provision mm-hmm. a resource that behaves how I expect it to behave. Doesn't, I, 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 I don't care if, if, if it's provisioned by AWS or, or, or Google or, or Azure. I just expect it to behave the way I, I want it. Right. Uh, and then, and then it would, if it was mocked, then it would pass the test or warn on the test. Hey, you're, you're not actually testing this. So you don't know, but then be able to say, okay, in, if I'm on Azure, I do have a valid test for this and I can, I can do that exercise. 
Yeah, I, it's it's not my job to 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 verify that uh, RDS ha- conforms to the the SQL spec that they that they claim to conform to. Right. It's it's my job to 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 test that my system uh, interacts with that particular spec, the spec how, how I expect it to. But it, but if you had a test that you could add into your process that did do a conformance check on RDS, would you add it as part of uh, complexity defense? Um, Probably yes, but I would decouple it. What do you mean? So, yeah. so I, I I would add a test to confirm that the spec that I'm testing my system against is being implemented by various vendors. Yeah, that's testing on a different <laughs> level, right? You're you're testing the underlying level then. And I think Klaus, you would you would separate testing the environment from testing the system. Is that yes. fair? Yeah. Right. Uh, so but, sometimes it, that that is hard to do, especially hmm. if the, the implementation of the system is short sighted. But uh, again, oh. in, in the ideal case, that that's how I, I would see it being tested. So I mean, let me let me break it down like this because I mean, I've been talking. We talked about orchestration a lot last week. This is a place where you could orchestrate a set of tests that validate the environment you're in, but not embed them into your application path test. And then you would have two concurrent tests that you could validate. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have to linear to serialize. Like you don't have to test every time you test your application, you don't have to also test that RDS conforms to spec, but it'd be sure handy to have a RDS conforms to spec test that you ran on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. And then, I, I, and then if just, that throws some, you know, you, you'd care about that a lot if it, if it failed, but it might not break your app if yeah. it failed. So your app should go, go ahead. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also the, the there's also the, the challenge that I, I have to balance testing everything I want to test or, or everything I can test in some cases right. uh, against lead time. Like if if I test uh, an application that that integrates with, uh, let's say, with AWS IAM, um, mm-hmm. but the application itself is rather lightweight, um, and it, it it deploys on Kubernetes. Now, sure. am I going to create a an EKS cluster every single time I test it? Because that that adds an insane amount of lead time. Like 10x. Right. No, but you might want to do it on a on a counter, a regular basis. You might want to do it if there's an error. You might want to come back and say, hey, this test, that my test didn't pass. Maybe I better kick off that Kubernetes conformance, te- the EKS conformance test. No. Like it's, it's interesting because I'm starting to see this, right? Because we're talking about complex system. <laughs> And we don't want to create a linear path through the complex system, but we could create a layered or a connected set of defensive tests that ensure that my that you know different parts of my environment are functional and then connect them together in ways that are triggered based on events or failing tests or on a timer. 
to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, hey, if my test is failing, please go through and run the tests on my environmental systems. Um, all right, Beth, thank you. This is actually, it's funny. Beth, I was about to invoke your name, but um, oh, no, I, got one more, I have one more minute. This is this makes me think of the topic that uh, you brought up on edge deployment systems that have internal validations and then will send an alert up to a, a management system. So they'll create a ticket or they'll raise an alert mm -hmm. in, in a central auth. And then that might then trigger a, oh, let me check the circuit. Let me check the environment that like, so, so this type of orchestrated exercising of the system makes a ton of sense. And the more we do it, the more defensive, the more defense we have in a complex system. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. I, I like this thought. thinking. Right, this is this is. It's not like oh, you can do A and B to make the systems less complex. What we what we spent you know the last forty minutes talking about is, all right, I've made a system that has better defensive mechanisms, right, inside of a, a complex environment. Well, and and the perfect example is telecoms. You cannot. <laughs> They're inherently complex. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I and that's that's the thing where I started my journey I'm with kidding, complexity. Um, you know, two years ago with this was can we eliminate complexity or hide complexity? And I, I keep coming back to we can't, you shouldn't. What we really need to do is is improve our defensive mechanisms for them. Right. But that's hard. This was great. Uh, unexpected um, direction on this, and I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you. Bye, guys. Cheers. Yeah. Talk to you all soon. Thanks. Wow. We keep getting deeper and deeper into making actionable results around complex systems. And so I know that this conversation will continue on the 2030.cloud, and also that this conversation itself was useful. We would love to see your questions, love to hear your input on these topics and others at the 2030 Cloud. So please join us and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.